What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Thank you for tuning in to today's Baseball America podcast. Our podcasts and Facebook Live broadcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. If you are a baseball fan, you need to check out Baseballism.com. Visit Baseballism.com and enter the code BASHIP to save 20% off. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the second episode of the Baseball America Draft Podcast. I'm Carlos Colazzo, as always, a national writer for Baseball America, focusing on the draft. Very excited to bring you the second episode of this draft podcast series. It's been fun so far, and today we're going to jump into a few of your questions Uh, But also some big news for us. On the draft, we released our top 300 MLB draft prospects today. Um, You can go check that out on the website if you haven't already. Uh, A few changes at the top of the board. I guess there are probably more than a few at this point. Uh, Still no clear number one. It's very early in the draft process. I think our lists up to this point have still been released earlier, much earlier than they have been in the past, but this I feel like this gives you a really good idea of kind of where the the picture of the draft class is currently. Um, I don't want to tease all of the rankings here, but we still have Brady Singer in the number one spot. There was serious argument for Shane McClanahan to kind of bump into that spot. He is up higher, uh, just a tick up from number three earlier in the season. The stuff from Shane McClanahan uh, probably is better than anyone in the class at this point. He's a left-handed pitcher who can throw 100 miles an hour. That's going to be valuable any year in any draft class. He's been effective in both of his first two starts this season. His second start, he actually didn't walk any batters. Uh, and with that, that kind of gets into some of his questions. Is just how how effective can he be in the strike zone? Can he throw strikes consistently? Uh, are there relievers, reliever questions with McClanahan? Yes, there are. I think that's part of the reason why... Uh, we can't just throw him into the number one spot now, though if you did uh, say he was the number one player in the class, I'm sure you'd get several teams who would agree with you. At the same time, there are still teams out there who would prefer Singer. Um, he's kind of got he's kind of got a lot of polish that the McClanahan doesn't have. He does a lot of things well. He's got a much longer track record of success at the college level than McClanahan does in a, in a tougher conference. Uh, the stuff has been more impressive in the past. It's been solid this year. I think uh, I've heard from some sources that uh, both of their fastballs kind of sit in the same range, although McClanahan can obviously get it higher when he needs to. The other big move here is Matthew Liberator jumping up even higher in the top 10. He was number nine before. Now he's number three. That makes him the top prep prospect on the list for us. He was up to 96, according to multiple scouts at his first game. Um, and then settled into an above-average fastball after that. We have a report on Matthew Liberator on the site uh, currently, so you can go check that out for a full breakdown of what he did in his first start. Uh, But a very talented young pitcher uh, you have out there in Arizona. Additionally, uh, as well as the fastball, you've got a changeup and a curveball that I'm sure many scouts would project as future plus pitches. So you're talking about a guy who has a projectable frame, clean delivery, easy arm action with three potential plus pitches. Um, but I don't want to dive too much into the list now. If you want to check out the full thing, be sure to check out BaseballAmerica.com. 
Wanted to touch on some injury news again this week. Unfortunately, the injury bug has hit us twice in the first two weeks. I guess it's not too surprising considering the number of players out there. Uh, but to see two players of this potential kind of uh, get hit with injuries this early, uh, I'm referring to Ethan Hankins last week. Uh, if you didn't hear me talking about his injury status, you can check out the first podcast if you haven't. Um, but Nick Madrigal has injured his wrist. He injured that sliding into home plate uh, during a game last weekend with Oregon State. He's going to be out around four to six weeks, I believe. Um, obviously, a big blow to Oregon State, a big blow to one of the uh, the best college players in the class, the highest-ranked college hitter currently for us at Baseball America, even on the updated uh, top 300 list. So I guess if you had questions about how much that would affect his draft stock, you kind of have... Uh, at least a partial answer there. We have some questions from readers uh, asking about Nick Madrigal and how this impacts his draft stock, so we can dive into that in a little bit more detail detail later in the podcast. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about the UNC um, ECU series that I saw this past weekend, as well as Duke Bucknell. Got to see some top draft prospects there. We've got audio from Coach Mike Fox and a couple of the pitchers who threw for the Tar Heels in really one of the most exciting college games I've seen recently, a back-and-forth affair between the Tar Heels and the Pirates in-state at Durham Bulls Athletic Park. Very exciting atmosphere for a college game just in the second week of the season. There are also reports online of all of the major prospects who played this weekend. This is Duke, Bucknell, UNC, and ECU. Um, but I guess before we get into some of those players, Gavin Williams touching 100 miles per hour in his outing Saturday for ECU. But unfortunately, he's uh, dealing with some arm discomfort there. I believe he's going to have an MRI and check out uh, that to see if anything's going wrong with him. But the freshman has some very easy velo. That was actually the first 100-mile-per-hour radar reading I've gotten in person, so that was fun to see. But hopefully he's able to to get back healthy and get onto the mound. Hopefully nothing is, is too crazy with him there. Um, but yeah, I wanted to touch on a couple of the Duke hitters. Griffin Conine is the highest ranked player on the Duke squad. He's a potential first round talent, one of the best bats in the class. He struggled a little bit this weekend, or that weekend, excuse me, depending on when you're listening to this podcast. Uh, had just two hits against Bucknell and went 0 for 5 Sunday, so a little bit of a slow outing from him. He did barrel one ball uh, from a sidearming right hander that was in the 70s, uh, double to right center. Uh, and showed some easy pop there, uh, but I don't think he was completely uh, together that weekend. He didn't have the the stuff we've seen in the past from him. Uh, similar with Jimmy Heron, he made an outstanding catch in left field going back into the uh, the Blue Monster that's there in Durham. Very athletic catch, uh, showed some good range there and good route running ability, but again, he struggled a little bit at the plate as well, getting under a few balls. Uh, I think he's having some issues barreling it or at least he was during this series again you can get full breakdowns of these guys online uh zach cone was probably the mo- most impressive duke player for me in this one he seems to hit everything he's got a bit of a a different setup at the plate kind of a low hand set uh, but he makes it work and it's really exciting to kind of watch him play he hit really well for me at duke scout day last fall as well so he's kind of a fun one to watch as an offensive oriented infielder for duke um but yeah, let's jump into some of the UNC guys. Austin Bergner is the top-rated prospect for UNC. I think scouts expected him to start heading into this season, and there is a starter job open for the Tar Heels on, on Sundays. They've kind of rotated through a couple guys, but I guess Bergner just hasn't done what the coaching staff wants to see at this point. He was solid 
Saturday, pitched two and two-third innings, I believe. Um, he actually got taken deep on his first pitch of the game, a 93-mile-per-hour fastball that I think he left up a bit too much. But he's shown some improvements with his curveball, uh, and you'll hear from Austin later in this podcast uh, about the development of that pitch specifically. But I kind of want to just give you uh, Coach Mike Fox's take on the game, how his players performed, uh, and just give you a little bit of the feedback that Fox had after his team won 5-4 Saturday night. So let's go ahead and jump into an interview with Coach Mike Fox immediately after that game. All right, Coach, obviously a uh, very exciting, tense game. Can you just kind of run me through your thoughts on it, how you guys performed? Obviously, yeah. nice to get that one. It was a great, a great atmosphere. Um, terrific game. Um, you know, two in-state teams going at it early. It's hard to believe it's, it's February. But, um, yeah, we... Uh, you know, we got out to a lead. I thought, I thought we had a chance, you know, to extend it. We had a runner on every inning, so we were trying to, you know, we were putting pressure on them every inning. We left. I, by my count, I, we had left, we left 17 on base. I think the box score just said 15, so obviously I missed a couple, but just couldn't get the big hit. And then you got to give them some credit, you know, coming in off a of burden and getting a big swing of the bat. And you know, we took their best punch there and were able to respond. So I was proud of my guys that more than anything else just a big crowd and you know boom three run homer and all of a sudden we're down and you know we've, we've been scuffed a little bit so great credit to our our club for you know coming back and getting the win how important is it for kyle to get that home run there in the next inning to kind of respond that was huge that was a big swing of the bat to you know get it back even again and uh yeah that was that was huge just let us breathe a little bit and, and then you know we, we made some good plays there defensively and turned a couple critical double play so tight game all the way just came down to who's gonna make a pitch or make a play you've had a number of close games so far this season some of them have what was really the difference tonight yeah i mean we just gotta you know we got a break here or there um you know the hit and run the, the 2 hit and run hurt us there first and second i didn't get a pitch he could hit took us out of an inning and then uh, cody roberts wasn't supposed to bunt right there he missed the sign and, Kind of took the bat out of Michael Bush's hands. We did we did some things that we shouldn't have done, but we made pitches when we you know we needed to. I thought Burdner coming back after giving up the three-run homer and giving us a couple more innings was huge, so we didn't have to go to Hyatt you know too early. So, you know, just close games. It just comes down to who executes, and uh, we made some pitches when we needed to and turned a couple of crucial, crucial double plays. What do you think of Tyler's start tonight? Yeah, I thought Baum was I thought I thought Baum was terrific. You know, I, I was thinking he was going to pitch into the fifth. Just uh, lost a little bit of command there. You know, I thought the key to our game really for us was Dallas Tester. I mean, that's his first start as a Tar Heel. I just had a hunch, put him in the leadoff spot, and boy, he hit five balls right on the nose. Um, great credit to him. He's a he's a transfer and hadn't played, and you know he was ready. I thought he had our best at bats all night. What was the thought process of throwing him right in there? Well, you know, Riley's been struggling a little bit, and um, he looks at the ball good. He can run. Well, he has been taking some good swings and practice and BP. And you know, I don't know. I just felt like I needed to make a change and move some guys around a little bit. And uh, you know, for what it's worth, just get B Riley down down in the order a little bit, take a little pressure off of him. And uh, you know, we'll see. We swung the bat better tonight than we certainly have the last four or five games. I'm going to strangle Josh Hyatt because uh, I have all this credit here because of Josh Hyatt because he, uh, he, 
likes to walk guys, and then he likes to make great pitches and get strikeouts and get double plays. It drives me crazy. So uh, we not have a kind of a running joke about that, but uh, you know, got to give that kid credit. He opened the door for him, but came back to Burleson and made a good pitch right there and got him to beat a ball on the ground. We got lucky. How nice is it to get this one out of the way with three pitchers? Obviously, they ran through seven or eight arms. That slowed down, but well, that's, our, that's, our, that's our three. That's our three best ones. Yeah. So, uh, you know, yeah, they used a lot of guys, and you know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who we're going to throw tomorrow, but everybody's going to throw everybody tomorrow. So it'll be, it'll be a great, it'll be a great day, great, you know, great day tomorrow to play another warm one. Hopefully, the rain will hold off. And, this is what Cliff and I, you know, kind of thought this series, you know, would do early in the season, kind of jumpstart maybe college baseball in the state. You know, it certainly looked like it did that tonight. That was Coach Mike Fox, the head coach of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Next, we're going to just go ahead and jump right into an interview with Austin Bergner. Very interesting prospect, right-hander for the Heels. Uh, he, he, Like I said earlier, he kind of came into this game and gave up a big home run off a 93-mile-per-hour fastball to Sophomore designated hitter Spencer Brickhouse, huge home run. But Bergner did a pretty nice job settling in after that. He gave up the lead, but the Tar Heels came back, and uh, with the home run from Kyle Datchis, they were able to even up the game and eventually go on to win. Uh, but I had a cool conversation with Austin after the game, just talking about how he's able to bounce back from a, a first-pitch home run. Obviously, no pitcher wants to come in the game and give up one of those, especially relieving in a tight game that was as, as intense uh, with the fans being as loud as they were. Uh, in this one. So he talks about uh, his repertoire, kind of his development over the offseason, what his goals are this year. A really fun conversation with Bergner. Uh, so let's just go ahead and jump right into that one as well. This one, obviously, not how you want to enter the game, but how do you kind of bounce back off that and settle down? Um, I mean, after that, the easiest thing you can do is just try and make the next pitch and, you know, either get an out or just get a strike and then roll from there. And then after that, the next pitch is the biggest deal, in my opinion, and just give the team a chance to get back in the dugout and get yeah. some runs. You know. That fastball, is that just a matter of him kind of just sitting on it? Uh, is it misplaced by you? Is it just a combination of good swing? He, he, put a great, he put a great swing on it. Um, I think I left it a little up. I could have made a better pitch for sure, but, um, you know, the kid was ready to hit a fastball, and, you know, you just got to tip your cap and roll from there after that. Obviously, after that, you guys were able to get back in it. You went out there, kind of set him down a couple innings. How nice is it to be able to, to give the – obviously, not nice to give it up, but to kind of come back and set it down and kind of get in your groove and have your guys take the lead for you there? Yeah, it was big. I mean, that, that ball that Kyle hit was yeah. crushed. And, I, I mean, same situation kind of happened at South Florida. I, I went in there, you know, close ball game, and we ended up taking a one-run lead. So I was just kind of taking it uh, taking it and rolling with it like like I did last weekend, just trying to make some pitches and get outs and yeah. just go pitch by pitch. Can you take me through your, uh, your, your repertoire a little bit, what you're comfortable with, kind of where your game plan is, what you're pitching off of in general? Um, I'd say I, I generally pitch off my fastball tonight. Uh, I would say it was it was just a little different. It seemed like those guys um, were hunting fastballs, and they were ready to hit it. Obviously, the first the first pitch I came in was, you know, guy put a good swing on it. But um, yeah, I think I pitched off my changeup, and I had I had a good curve tonight, so I was just rolling with everything. Um, could have made some better fastball pitches to to really help the off speed, but you know, I think all in all, the, the off speed really helped me tonight. Yeah, you talk about having the curveball or feeling a little bit better. Can you kind of take me through how that develop, the development of that pitch? Uh, I guess even before you got to Carolina, kind of how that pitch has come along for you. Is that something that's yeah, improved as years have gone? Um, definitely improved a lot. I mean. I made a big adjustment this past summer with Chatham in the Cape, and it, it was just—it was all about my um, my 
sights, and I was just you know throwing good two-strike curveballs and swing and misses, but not really the call strikes that you want early in the count. And so I just had to make adjustments with that, and it's it's really nothing you know too big, but it's just just making better pitches with it, starting a little higher and having to break down yeah. in the zone instead of out of the zone. Okay, so is it more of just commanding that pitch better? Is it kind of manipulating the break a little bit more to help you throw for strikes? Is it a combination of both of those both, things? for sure. Okay. Yeah, because the break was there. I mean, the, the break's always been there. It's been short, you know, a tight curveball, but I just had to adjust my sights and get it up a little bit so yeah. it was more of a, a pitch that someone can either hit a ground ball or swing and miss or take instead of just like a, a spit-on mm -hmm. curveball that's two strikes It's not even in the zone. Yeah, for sure. I guess going through the rest of the season as the, uh, the spring goes on, what are your kind of goals personally as a pitcher? What are you trying to improve on? What are you trying to continue doing? Um, I would say the curveball, you know, I made a big step with that tonight. I, I always try after after outings to, you know, whether it was good or bad, to look at the positive and, and go from there because, I mean, I, I didn't pitch as well as I would have liked tonight. I would have liked to finish the game, and I think I'm fully capable, but it was huge that Josh picked me up. And, um, so for me, it's just feeding off of or, or, um just kind of taking what I did tonight and just getting a little better every time I go out there, which I feel like is happening. And it was, I, I think it was big for me to face a little adversity tonight after I had a successful weekend at USF. And, you know, the biggest thing in baseball is just handling adversity. It's never going to be easy, you know. It's not always easy. So. All right. Well, best of luck the rest of the season, man. I appreciate it. Again, that was UNC right-hander Austin Bergner. Definitely be sure to check out the updated Baseball America 300 to check out where he falls on the updated list for the 2018 draft. We've got one more interview to get through in this episode of the podcast. This is a fun one to do. Um, I actually got a chance to talk to Stanford coach David Esker in his first season with the Cardinal. Um, big prospect in his camp this year, Tristan Beck. Uh, this is a right-hander who we've talked about before, not necessarily on the podcast, but on Facebook Lives if you're tuning into those. But Beck is obviously a very talented right-hander. His name has been around for a while, coming off of an injury. Uh, throughout the whole offseason, we heard that if Beck was healthy, he's a first-round type of talent. After his first two starts this season, he's shown that he is healthy. I've talked to multiple scouts about Beck. They're all pretty impressed with what he's done so far. Uh, his stuff was down a tick in his second outing of the season, but I don't think it's enough to, to get anyone concerned. There's obviously going to be some growing pains as he continues to work back from that injury. And even, even like I said, with the stuffing down, he still pitched very effectively. He's got a great idea of what he's doing in the strike zone. Has a fastball that ranges from 90 to 95, generally in the lower range of that to this point from what I've heard so far. Haven't seen Beck yet in person, but looking forward to the opportunity. Uh, I believe I'll get a chance to get out there. Uh, at some point this spring, so excited for that. But more excited to bring you guys this conversation with Coach Esker. We touch on a number of prospects, including obviously Tristan Beck. Um, you also have Nico Horner there, who's a shortstop for Stanford and has been a very impressive player. Uh, a leader in the clubhouse, it sounds like. He started off pretty well hitting the ball, uh, can pick it defensively as well. Um, so you can kind of get a sense of what, what Coach Esker is looking for in his team, what he's learned from uh Coach Mark Marquez that uh, coached him previously when he played for Stanford, and I think he had around six years uh, assisting Coach Marquez uh, with Stanford. Chris Bubich is another another pitcher who's very highly ranked on our board at this point that uh, Coach Esker dives into. So I really appreciate Coach Esker taking the time to uh, to talk to me over the phone. Hopefully the, the audio quality is pretty good for this podcast. I think it is. Um, Feel free to let me know if that's not. We'll try to make sure it improves as these podcasts continue. But um, here's a, a really interesting conversation with Coach Esker. Hope you guys enjoy it. 
We're here now with Coach David Esker of Stanford, uh, who has started off 8-0 in his first season as the head coach. Uh, coach Esker, thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, how's it going? And uh, how nice is it to start off with a, a perfect record, a couple big series wins here, and uh, the latest one against Well, yeah, you're right. I, I mean, it's, it's, it's been great so far. The kids have, play, have played great, and we've played some tough ball games against some really good competition competition so I think what we've seen we, we've had to win games a, a, a few different ways not they, they have not come easy to us and I think that's probably the most valuable experience that we've had is we played some games that have been tough wins and games we've had to mentally stay into and and maybe not play good in the first four or five innings like we did on on Saturday but then and then find a way to kind of dig out a win so um, I think what I'm most proud of is just kind of the mental toughness our guys have shown throughout throughout these games against really really good competition mm -hmm, for sure and you mentioned that mental toughness is there a few players who kind of uh, take the lead there and kind of direct the rest of the younger guys and, and basically the whole team who are, who are your group of leaders in here that are kind of helping direct that well we're, we're blessed right I mean coach Marcus handed off uh, a great group of kids uh, to me and my staff, and who had who had who had learned a work ethic and a discipline, and 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 had learned some some mental toughness. And guys like Nico Horner, our shortstop, is has been just a just a great player for us. But I think it's the it's the little intangible things behind the scenes that you see from Nico that really make him special. I mean, he is a he is such a selfless player, and really really kind of a, just a, a motivating and and supportive player to his teammates. And you know, he'll make an out, and he'll be the first one back in the dugout just talking to the hitters about about what he saw and what you know how to attack the pitcher and just really stay engaged in the game beyond what his personal performance shows uh Tristan Beck having him back and performing is is obviously a godsend and mm -hmm. and and beyond that he's such he's such an emotional leader of the team he's he's out there in front you know cheering on the uh, the his teammates and and really trying to inspire them so you know having two players like that is just you know like i said just special mm -hmm. yeah and i wanted to touch on those guys uh, a little down the line so i'm glad you brought them up but i guess we can just start with beck since he's obviously a guy a lot of people are looking forward to seeing this year coming off the injury uh, and he's a big part of the reason why your pitching staff is uh, posted a 2.13 ERA to this point uh, from from the scouting or from the uh, the statistics it looks like he's kind of just jumped right back in and is the same guy uh, that we've seen in the past is that the case from your perspective in the dugout just how has he looked so far yeah he looks he looks good he looks good and you know the thing that makes Tristan tough is he can get you out with four pitches that he doesn't have to rely on getting you to two strikes and maybe wiping you out with one he's he's got he's got a fastball that he can locate and move in and out up and down uh, he's got a changeup that can get you out if if that if that's going to be where your hole is, and then a slider and a curveball depending on what uh, what he wants to attack you with. And so um, he's done a great job, and the ability you know to game plan with him and call against the certain hitters. I mean, he just opens up uh, a lot of attack and. You know, uh, uh, not to say that he's you know invincible, but he definitely makes it tough to be tough to beat him. Definitely. And then you also have a guy going right after Tristan and Chris Bubich. He's a very talented left-handed pitcher in his own right. He's got a sub two ERA at this point, two and zero, eleven innings pitched, twelve strikeouts, no walks. I mean, how nice is it to have a one-two punch like that in your rotation? 
Yeah, I mean, and 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 you know, as good a pitchers as they are, they're they're better kids, and they work hard, and they they kind of just set the set the bar for the whole staff, and you know, really high. And uh, you know, there's some there's some positive peer pressure if you're going to be one of the pitchers on the Stanford baseball pitching staff, and I, and and we're, and we're kind of feeding off that, and it's really it's a little bit of, there's a little bit of energy there, one upsmanship, which I like. <laughs> That's fantastic. Then you also have Brendan Beck, who's the younger brother of Tristan, and again, just looking at the statistics he's got some impressive numbers pitching but he's also an infielder for you guys how do you plan on kind of using him uh throughout the season and what have you seen from him so far well, I tell you what, if, if he wasn't going to play such a prominent role, you know, as a freshman on our, on our pitching staff, you know, and, and I had to, you know, take him aside the other day and just to let him know that, you know, I, I have not ignored uh, that he, he he virtually was our best freshman hitter all fall and all in January, mm-hmm. and he probably performed the best as a secondary infielder at all the positions, whether it's the, the second third baseman, the second shortstop, and the second second baseman, yeah. so he, he's right there now now the the issue is is if we're going to use him as a prominent role uh, on the pitching staff you don't want i don't i don't want to overload him you know as, as a young freshman and just want to kind of bring him along maybe on one side of the ball more than the other because uh, you know physically i want to make sure that that he can uh handle the load that we're that we may put on him how could could you kind of break down what he is as a pitcher on the mound how he's similar and different uh than his brother well, right right now, you know, which which I really believe is, you know, when he when he hits that that velocity spike, which mm-hmm. a lot of young guys will eventually, and he will certainly do that. Um, boy, it is it is it is going to be uh, really special. Right now, he probably is 87, 88, mm-hmm. uh, probably with adrenaline and, and probably fresh, uh, with a slider and a changeup. And I think what makes him what makes him good is, is, is my pitching coach can attack hitters and call and call pitches. He he never gets backed into a corner. Like when he's three one and three two, he doesn't have to just challenge you with a fastball. He can throw his secondary pitches down in the count. He can throw them ahead of the count. He can lead you off with them even in the count. So he really kind of he allows he allows Coach Thomas Eager to game plan and really really attack the hitter. Okay, sounds like he's a very polished young kid. Those those big boys. Yeah, yeah, he certainly is. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it has to rely on 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 control, and mm-hmm. he's a more of a finesse pitcher uh, in the sense that he doesn't he's not throwing ninety four, ninety five miles an hour like his older brother mm-hmm. yet. <laughs> you will see where he gets. But um, yeah. I wanted to also go back to to Nico. You mentioned him uh, just from from a mentality standpoint, but he's also hitting three seventy nine, I believe, second on your team in hitting at this point. Uh, three doubles, a triple, a home run. Uh, can you kind of go over his game for me? Obviously, he does a lot for you in the dugout, in the lineup, and playing shortstop for you, handling a lot. But just break him down because he's one of uh, one of the top ranked guys we have as well. In addition to Tristan, yeah, you know, just uh, obviously he's his, everybody knows he's a lockdown defender and he's just a, a really a great shortstop with a with a great internal clock, um, really a feel for the position. Um, uh, but offensively, he's made such great strides. I mean, um, really, just kind of sprays line drives all over the field, and he's tough. He's tough to get out with two strikes, and really had some really good two strike at bats so far in the season. And they're really, you really can't go in any one place to go get him because he he may you may get him once in a certain location, but it'd be tough to get him there twice. And so I think those adjustments that he's made as he's matured as a hitter is where where his um, maturity has come from and mm-hmm. and I know with this great summer that he's had uh in the Cape this past summer really kind of you know 
you know, moved the moved his offense to the next level, yeah. which I'm, I'm excited to see how far he can take that this this season. Yeah, that's awesome. And then another position player I wanted to touch on is Brandon Wolf, a junior outfielder. He's currently crushing the ball, hitting 462, 548, 692. Uh, is, is this something you expected from him? Obviously, 462. I don't know if any coach is expecting a player to hit hit like that and obviously it's been just eight well he's he's He's, he's off to a great start, and you know what? It, it, it is He's been progressing every year. You know, he was a better sophomore than he was a freshman, and, and obviously right now he, we, we believe he's a better junior than he was a sophomore. And, and just the comfort level, you know, and as you get older, you get comfortable uh, with hitting the off-speed pitch, and you don't, you know, your holes aren't as big. And I think that's where, where he's really kind of come into his own is, uh, you know, he's a, he's a good enough hitter now that if you're going to pitch him backwards and, and maybe try to, try to get ahead with them with something lazy in the zone, he can hurt you with it, and so then, uh, you know, now that that kind of makes you have to attack him back to with the fastball, which he's you know he, he's pretty dangerous with as well. Yeah, definitely. So for him, do you think it's just more of kind of getting those at bats and getting used to the college game, or has anything changed with his swing, uh, his his plate approach, anything like that? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it's comfort level, and in, in, in obviously he's he's uh, he's a weight room fanatic, so he's a he's, he's a strong kid, and you know, with strength, you you, you kind of develop some margin for error. You don't maybe don't have to be as technically perfect if you mm-hmm. if you can deliver deliver the bat with some bat speed and some strength, and so I think I think you know he he's a, he's develop some margin for error in his in his swing and he's gotten a couple cheap two strike hits which I tell him sometimes I'm I'm more I'm more proud of those hits than the home run and the double that he's hit because uh we need him to we need him to barrel up those balls and get on time but uh you know the the mark of a great hitter is can you be can you be off a little bit and still have some success yeah for sure and coach I also wanted to touch on um just your first year uh, as the head coach of Stanford obviously you worked with uh coach Mark Marpes for a while um and eight to start obviously it's as good as you can be at this point but just how, how has things been for you uh, with the program and I guess if there are any nits you can pick with your team right now without a loss what do you want to improve on as the season uh, continues and progresses right well, you know, uh, it's been it's been incredible to to come home, right, and and, and to come back to my alma mater, uh, place that I coached with as an assistant coach. That um, you know, it, it's, it's, it is it is cliche to say it's a dream come true, mm-hmm. but it really is. And there are days where I will walk out of the office and I may stay late in the office, and I walk out by myself, and as I'm walking through the facilities and to my car, you know, I, I kind of half chuckle to myself and saying, like, "You got to be kidding me! I'm back! I'm, I, I, you know, that I'm the head coach at Stanford University." <laughs> I thought I was settled in. I'd been here for you know six, seven months, and I thought it was settled in until until Friday morning of the of the home opener, where I had to really kind of ask myself, like, this is this is real, right? <laughs> I'm 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 the head coach at Stanford University, and um, you know, kind of a long way to come for come for a walk on shortstop from Salinas, California. Yeah. Um, but it but it was real, and 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 just so happy and, and proud to take over for my my former coach, and um, you know, I've, I've developed a little bit of a tradition where I take him out to dinner the, the night before the series opener. Mm-hmm. We did it the first time and I said, if you think I'm crazy, I'm not taking you out to dinner the next <laughs> week. Uh, you don't know me very well. That's fantastic. What, what are some things that you've maybe picked up from, from Coach Marquez and that you've uh, used in your own game, either as a player back then or as a coach now? I'm sure there's a lot of information and insight he's given you over the years. 
Well, if, if there's anything that you're going to glean just by being around Coach Marcus, one is your enthusiasm for the game mm-hmm. and just a tireless work ethic. I mean, to be honest, if, if he was going to allow me to associate and be around him, uh, you were going to have to be someone who worked hard. And and, uh, and 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 I always say, you know, kind of the trademark of, of Coach Marcus was under promise and over deliver. And, you know, uh, and, and, and part of that is just the amount of time and effort you're going to put into. He is not going to get beat by effort. And I think and that's in everything that he does, whether it's the team that he puts on the field or the amount of hours he's going to put into his his craft and his profession to prepare his team. And so that's something I'll carry with me for always. I, you know, I, I don't want to and will never want any anyone to believe that they can beat us with effort. Mm-hmm. For sure. Uh, well, I appreciate it, Coach. Uh, you got a four-game series with Michigan coming up. Uh, I guess the last question for me is what are you looking uh, looking for in that series? Obviously, you want to continue piling on the wins, but uh, just looking ahead to that, what do you have uh, coming up for, for Michigan? Well, it, it's got to be the consistency of pitching and defense, which is you know kind of the the, the, the trademark of, of what we're going to be built on. Uh, there's some there's some offensive. Uh, we've got to move the needle offensively. There's no doubt about it. We've we've left some runners on uh, in the first two weekends that could have extended leads for us and made it a lot more comfortable. But I think that's just you know our players who are getting on the field and and playing you know some of them for the first time getting comfortable and getting familiar with those situations. Yeah. So I think I think offensively we've got to move the needle some. Um, I, I think you know we're trying to define some of those roles in our bullpen and get an idea of what kids can and can't do and, and some matchups. And then we've got some boxes to check with some kids who haven't played yet who have earned that right. We just we just got to find those opportunities to kind of get them in there and see if they can uh, be a piece to the puzzle to help us win. And then uh, you know getting getting Duke Kinnaman back as quickly as we can and uh, will be a big help and a, and a big shot in the arm when, when in, in a couple weeks when we get him back yeah definitely well fantastic start to the season so far coach congrats on that and uh best of luck as you guys continue throughout the season thanks for coming on no you're welcome thank you again big thanks to coach david esker for coming on the podcast really appreciate him taking some time out of his day to talk about his program talk about his experience as the head coach of stanford he definitely sounds excited about it it's fun to hear um I'm excited to kind of bring more of these interviews uh, with coaches and and players in the future, not necessarily right after games that I've been to, but just kind of going around the country and and talking to guys who are interesting from various various perspectives. So if there are any players or coaches you want to hear from, feel free to let me know at Carlos A. Colazzo, or you can always email me at carlos.colazzo at baseballamerica.com. Um, and if you ever have any questions just in general about the draft, feel free to, to send them to those avenues as well. Today I'm actually going to answer a couple questions that we do have on Twitter. I sent out a tweet before I started recording this podcast. If anyone had any questions, I could touch on those. So this might be a segment that's recurring on the podcast, just kind of a little reader Q&A. We'll go ahead and jump into some of those. Uh, at Mr. Correa619 asks, you think Nolan Gorman will be available at seven for the Padres? Uh, I do think that he could be in that range, Mr. Correa. I think it's also a little bit too early to kind of peg players with teams at this point. Obviously, a lot can change, uh, but I do think that Gorman is in that area currently, at least on our draft board. Uh, it'll depend on what kind of the Padres are looking for and what Gorman does this spring. Um, and we'll get into that more as the season progresses and as we get closer to the draft. But if you're a Padres fan and you're hoping for Gorman, there's definitely a chance that he gets to you there. Um, Let's go to another one. At KHeart75 asks, 
is it time to worry about Jeremy Ironman or too soon? Uh, this is kind of a good question because if you actually check out the draft tracker that went up Thursday afternoon, I touch on Ironman in more detail for subscribers. Um, but I do think that uh, the start to the season is raising a little bit of question marks. He has eight strikeouts, just two walks, and he hasn't faced elite competition at this point. That combined with the summer that he had with USA Baseball, um, it is a bit mystifying. Uh, I think it definitely raises flags. I don't know if people are freaking out this early. It hasn't been very long. It's two weeks, very small sample size. So it's not like you're just going to throw him off the board, but you definitely want to uh, to kind of check him out and see if see if he can figure some things out. And obviously he has to hit. So if he, if he doesn't hit the whole season, he'll definitely be impacted by it. But it's very early at this point, so I wouldn't freak out too much. Um, Khart75 also asks, is Trevor Larnick playing his way into the first round because with his size and athleticism, he sure looks the part now that the power is there. Yeah, I think the first round might be a little rich at this point. But yeah, you're right. He definitely has the power that started to play in game. This is something that scouts have wanted to see for him for a while now. Uh, he had maybe the loudest first week, first two weeks of the college season of anyone. Um, and he did jump forward in our rankings. Check him out to see exactly where he falls. Um, again, now I think first round might be a little bit too rich. His profile is not ideal because he's a corner guy, so it's going to be hard. He's going to have to hit a ton, but he's doing that right now. Uh, if he kept hitting this rate the entire season, I could see it, but I think he's also hitting at an unsustainable level at this point. I expect him to come down to earth a little bit at some at some point. Uh, at the Duke 68 asks, does Ryan Rollison have enough stuff to end up the top college pitcher taken this June? Yeah, definitely. Uh, Rollison's stuff has been good so far this season, and I think he's in in that tier of top college arms uh, that really are in the mix for 1-1. There are a number of different guys. There's not a clear-cut number one. I think he's definitely in the mix. Good call with Rollison. Uh, at Vander1017 has a number of questions, uh, but I think all of them are interesting. His first one is about Nick Madrigal who we touched on earlier in the podcast, he asks, how much is missing a month's worth of games going to affect Madrigal's draft stock? Um, the short the short answer is I don't think it's going to affect him much at all. Madrigal is a guy who has such a long track record at this point of hitting and hitting at a high level that I think a wrist injury like this can't hurt him too much. Um, obviously, you want to see him playing. It's never good when a player is not on the field, but he's done enough, I think, to where this injury... Uh, it doesn't really change his future ceiling at all for me, and I've heard the same from uh, evaluators that I've talked to about this issue. So I don't think you need to worry too much. Um, yeah. He also asked, does Brady Singer's pitching motion scare you at all with how violent it looks? Do you think he could be a higher risk of injury? Uh, I'm not a pitching guru, so I don't really want to comment too much on that. I think if you're a pitcher, you're already at a pretty high risk of injury, just period. Um, we see that regularly. I don't think it's an issue of how violent it looks. I think it's more of the, the arm action, the lower slot. I think that is more of a question for some evaluators uh, as far as when you're talking about starter reliever profiles. Um, yeah, there are issues that have been raised with Singer's, with singers mechanics. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's improves or increases, excuse me, his injury risk. I wouldn't be the person uh, to ask about that. Uh, he also asked, what kind of defense could Nolan Gorman have at the major league level? Does he stick at third, or do you think he can move elsewhere? A lot of Nolan Gorman questions. Love how you guys are in on the Arizona product. Uh, I really like Nolan Gorman's defense. I feel like I might be one of the higher guys on his defense. 
at the U18 World Cup in Canada this year with the 18U national team. Gorman really picked it. It was very impressive. Uh, I think he has great glove work. I think he has a, a plus arm. Uh, I think he can make throws on the run at different arm angles. He showed me everything that I needed to see uh, to, to be able to kind of predict that he'll stick a third. I believe he can he can stay there. I think most people at this point that I've talked to believe he has the tools to stick there. Um, but again, it'll depend on kind of how his body develops as he continues to grow uh, and continue to progress throughout his career. But yes, if, if I had to guess, I would say I think he could. I think he's going to be a very good third baseman. Um, and the last one we'll touch on, then I'll let you guys get out of here, is at Chris Hughes Hughes. Is Seth Beer a first-round pick? <laughs> this is a good one to end on because I feel like Seth Beer is maybe the most polarizing, uh, maybe not polarizing, that might be not be the right word, uh, but he's definitely the guy that we get asked about a lot. I know Teddy Cahill and Mike Lennon on the college side get a ton of Seth Beer questions. Uh, he's the guy who jumped on the scene very, very loudly his freshman year. He had an extremely good season then. Uh, but to kind of get to your question, he's in that fringe range right now. If you look where he is on our top 300, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think he's there uh, at this point in time if the draft were to happen today. Uh, but he definitely has a chance. He has a chance to sneak in the background. I think, I think people, people who are very high on Seth Beer and who have asked us these questions a lot don't. If you look at the track record for players like Seth Beer, who are very hit heavy and need to hit for their profile, don't do much defensively, don't run, can't help you out on that side of the ball. Have to be a corner guy or first baseman. I know Seth Beer's been playing a lot of the outfield with Clemson now, just because of Chris Williams playing first base for a little bit. I don't know if he's an outfielder at the next level. I think there are a lot of people who, who think he's going to be a DH down the line. Uh, so automatically, NL teams have to think very, very hard before taking him in the first round with your first pick. And with AL teams, you have to be very convinced that the bat is going to play at the major league level with a lot of impact. Uh, when you get into his wood bat track record as well, I think that's another another flag that, uh, that you want to raise and just make sure you're comfortable with. Um, I'd say probably supplemental first round or second round at this point, um, but obviously depends on what he does throughout the rest of the spring. And another team could be much higher on beer uh, than what I've heard at this point. But I would, if I had to guess, first round pick at this point, I'd say no. Um, but who knows? We'll see. That's why it's fun to uh, to watch the draft unfold, and we'll find out in June. But uh, thanks to everyone for sending in questions. If you guys like this segment, we can definitely pursue that more in the future and do that. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to send them to at Carlos A. Colazzo or email them at carlos.colazzo at baseballamerica.com. Uh, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up for week two. This third week, I'm going to be out in the triangle again, going to see some college games, see DJ Artis with Liberty taking on UNC and Jeremy Ironman, who we've touched on here, see how he's doing at the plate this weekend in Greenville. So that's going to be really exciting. But thank you guys for listening. Really appreciate you tuning in. Uh, and until next time. Thank you to our followers for tuning in today. Today's podcast and all of our Facebook live broadcasts are sponsored by Baseballism. Visit Baseballism.com for the best apparel in baseball and enter the code BASHIP to save 20%. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.